You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Faith for barren times. Verse 18. In hope, he, by the way, that's talking about Abraham or Abram, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us as a result of studying this passage, to grow strong in our faith, giving glory to God. Lord, that that would be an application that we would carry away from here, and that would be a conviction that you would plant deep in our heart by the transforming power of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He had already lived... 75 years. That's three quarters of a century. His name, Abram, literally meant father of many. It's a kind of stabbing irony for a man with no kids. But he was wealthy, healthy, happy, and surrounded by extended family when one day God kind of interrupts his settled existence with this command. God says to him, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make a great nation of you. I mean, just think about this. Imagine that, a great nation springing from an old man with no kids. How does that work? But Scripture says Abram obeyed. He uprooted his family, which at that point included nephew and servants and livestock and possessions. And he went forth, as Hebrews chapter 11 records, not knowing where he was going. And as he journeyed, he waited. Every week, every month, he waited. He waited for that promise to be fulfilled. Several years later, God kind of drops by in a vision. Um, Abram is in an anguished state. He's still childless. There is no heir. There's no, no fulfillment to the promise. I just imagine him sitting there thinking, great, great nation. Great, what is this great nation business? All I have is a nephew, and I don't even like him that very much, that much. And, you know, great, how about a good neighborhood? I mean, great neighbor, nice pet maybe. I see nothing of a great nation materializing. 
And scripture records that God took him outside and bid him to look up to the sky and to number the stars. And God spoke these eternal words to him saying, so shall your offspring be. And then the Bible says, and Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that's quite a story. In fact, you almost expect that the story is going or should end there because Abram is encountering God. It seems like it's all wrapping up. It seems like it would be, it'd be a, just a great ending with a nice tight bow put across the top of it. But all of that happened before what I like to think of as the long wait of Abram's life. First couple of years weren't too bad, but, but you know, after seven or eight years, you know what happens. You, the memories grow dull. You begin to think, did that really happen eight years ago, nine years ago? I, boy, did God really come? Did God really say the things he said? Did he speak? I mean, keep in mind, after that period of time, Sarah is still barren. Abram is just aging. At year 10, well, let's just say mistakes were made. Sarah had to know, is it him or is it me? I want to know. So she pushes Hagar on Abram as his wife. Abram capitulates. Ishmael is conceived. Arab history begins. But Ishmael is not the promised one. Another 14 years pass. God returns to Abram. God returns, reaffirms his promise, changes his name from Abram, father of many, to Abraham, father of a multitude. Abraham is now 99 Sarai's name has been changed to Sarah. She's been through menopause. She has one child, but that one child is not her child, and that one child is not the promised child. How long will they wait? One year later, 25 years after the promise, Isaac is born. And that's the story behind Romans chapter 4. In the early chapter of Romans, Paul was kind of building a case for the idea of, of righteousness that comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But it's here in Romans chapter 4 that Paul introduces his strongest and most stunning piece of evidence for the position that he's setting forth. What he does is he takes Abraham, patriarch of God's people, Abraham, father of the Jewish lineage, he takes Abraham and offers him as an exhibit A for saving faith. But here's the thing we're going to discover together as we go through this passage, that while chapter 4 is certainly about the faith that saves, it's about the faith that justifies, we are instructed also in chapter 4 about the nature of faith itself. Because the faith that justifies also portrays a faith that pleases God. The faith that justifies also portrays a faith that helps us to persevere during the long waits while we are anticipating 
the fulfillment of God's promises in our life. And so I want to dissect with you Abraham's faith. And I want to look at it in three different parts, beginning with part A, or number one, believing the promise. Now, let's look again at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham had been told something by God. He had been told, you're going to become a father. You will have a son. And so what we learn from verse 18 is that faith in Abraham responded by investing trust in God's words. God spoke to him and said, so shall your offspring be. He invested trust in God's words, and he stood on the promise of God as if it was a guaranteed future reality, as if it was something that was definitely going to be happening in the future, wasn't here yet, had to wait for it, but it was definitely coming because he had heard the word of God. Now, if you're anything like me, you know, there's such a temptation when you read passages like this. You read a story of Abraham, and you think, well, yeah, I mean, if God appeared to me in a vision and offered me some supernatural sign, I think I could believe in him too. I think I could believe in whatever he told me or whatever about my future. As if true faith rests upon simply having a supernatural experience. But one need only read through the Old Testament once. Just, just wade into the Old Testament before you begin to encounter people who are having supernatural experiences with God that don't necessarily result in faith. Because memories fade. They faded for Israel right after they came out of the Red Sea. They faded for the kings. They fade for the prophets. They... They fade for us. They certainly fade for me. I mean, not all that long ago, I'm, I'm sitting in a small group meeting. I think Kim and I are going to be celebrating an anniversary in about a week, but it's not really on our, our radar. And, uh, and the small group leader stops the meeting and says, oh, Dave, Kim, you, you guys are having an anniversary in about a week. Give us a memory from your wedding day. I mean, Honestly, I don't even think I was paying attention in the small group. So as soon as I heard my name, you know that feeling like you're being called back, like your, your, your mind is in orbit somewhere and you've left and you're, you're kind of in another meeting in your own mind and then you hear your name, it snaps you back to attention. So I'm there, Kim, I look over at her, same thing's going on. And so we're both snapped back to attention and then, then it's a memory from the wedding day and I'm thinking, okay, any, any minute, you know, the, the file should boot up any second. I'll just, I'll just wait. And I realize I got nothing. I got nothing booting up. I'm looking at Kim. You know, you're married, so you kind of prompt each other with your eyes like, well, what do you got? I don't got anything. What do you got? Come and she's saying to me, I got nothing. And, and I'm this is crazy. You know, 10 seconds is passing, 20 seconds is passing. I'm looking down at my hand. I got a ring on my finger. I'm thinking, I know I'm married. I know this happened. But for some reason, there is a big gap of time between 30 years ago when this happened and now in this meeting. Because memories, even of significant things in our lives, fade. Listen, here's the point. Abraham didn't stand on the memory of an experience. 
God spoke and he believed and he drove his stake of confidence in the word of God. Now, this is really important. For us, the promises of God are preserved and contained in our Bible. <laughs> Listen, if, if you're not working your Bible, you're not going to grow in faith. I mean, might as well, we might as well check out right now because we're not going to grow in, in, our, in faith unless we're working in the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The Word of Christ. So what faith does is faith engages a real world with real problems but faith allows scripture to be louder than circumstances. Faith allows scripture to be louder than the voices, the calamitous voices that are always all around us. Faith lets the promises of God speak. Because, I mean, let's be honest, to be alive today is to have voices speaking. Our fears speak. Our circumstances speak. Our suffering speaks. Fatigue speaks. And faith trusts what God says about the future more than what those voices say in the present. Faith trusts what God says about our future more than what those voices say in the present. So the question that we have to wrestle with this morning is, which voices matter most to us? And here's the thing. Abraham had to wrestle through that. Oh, yeah, he eventually arrived where he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. But it wasn't before he grew strong in his faith. He didn't start strong. He started where you and I are. He started bumbling around. He started feeling anxiety. He started waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to sleep because his brain is being bombarded with all of the open-ended things in his life, with the way the kids are, or whatever it might be for you, or work, or the kind of things that are always swirling around that preoccupy and distract us, those voices that speak. It says, Abraham grew strong in his faith. He was able to rest in a settled conviction ultimately. Why? Because God said it. It was his word and his word alone. I brought a great, great quote with me by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He once said the following quote, There is always this naked element in faith. It does not ask for proofs. It does not seek them. In a sense, it does not need them. Faith is content with the bare word of God. And every time I read that, I get convicted. Because so often I'm not content with the bare word of God. I need, some, I need God's word plus feeling better. God's word plus circumstances to change. God's word plus some other element that's going to reduce God and enhance my anxiety. That's why Abraham is being held out for us because number one, he believed the promise. Number two, this is the second part, embracing the circumstances. 
Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. I, I, you know, I, I pause and smile over this because I, what, what I love about this is how, how the description of what's going on links faith to an unashamed, unvarnished glimpse at reality. You know, there's no denial here of how bad things really are. There's no dumping the evidence. There's no spin control. There's There's no attempt to avoid the raw truth about how ugly and bad things really are because the raw truth might reinforce some kind of negative thinking. You know, just as an aside, there, there, is, a, there is a body of faith teaching, and, and many of us are familiar with this, but there's a body of faith teaching that suggests that voicing the reality of a situation is actually empowering the problem, or in some cases it might be emboldening the enemy, and it makes Christians appear, you know, I mean, how can I say this diplomatically? Like lunatics. It makes us appear like, like lunatics, you know, because we have to deny the reality and the appearance of faith. We have to deny how bad it is as if faith can't look at something that is unresolved or something that is horrible and see God beyond it. And that's where this is, this is so refreshing This is so unbelievable. I mean, verse 19, he didn't weaken faith. He considers his own body. It's as good as dead. And then this little commentary, um, folks, he's about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham is honestly looking at his circumstances. He is boldly looking at the reality. And he's concluding, yep, yep, the results ain't pretty. Abraham says, I I look in the mirror, and I look at my body, and my body is as good as dead. Now, because he's a guy, he's saying, well, it's a cool kind of hip kind of dead, you know. It's better than any other hundred-year-old kind of dead, but it's dead. I look at Sarah, my wife, and she's gorgeous to me. She's 90, but I love her. She's nine. She's 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 still a babe to me, but she's a barren babe. Do you see what's happening here? This is what this section is meant to communicate. You look at Abraham, it's impossible. You look at Sarah, it's incomprehensible. Everywhere we look is dead. There's no seed, no hope, no way, no life. The circumstances have all gathered together. They've converged. They've they've acted like a jury. They've returned their verdict. It's dead. It's impossible. There's no potency, no hope, no life. Are you beginning to see what this means for your situation? Because the Spirit of God is at work right now, and the Spirit of God is making attachments and associations and active because there's certain things that are coming up in your mind where you look at it and you think, dead. 
We all have areas where when we look at it honestly and courageously, we, we're able to conclude there's a total absence of life, and that breaks my heart. Where the circumstances, just honestly, they reveal a barrenness. You've been praying for this person. It's been, it's been years you've been praying with this person. You love this person. But when you honestly assess where they truly are right now, there's no change, no interest, no life. You bear this affliction, this, this weakness, this suffering, and, and there's been no healing. It's, there's, been, there's been no change. You're not going to sugarcoat it. When, when you look at it, you honestly conclude there's, there's no strength, no change, no no life. Or you look at your child. Maybe it's even an adult child. And you think they have been given so much by God. And they seem to be bearing so little fruit for God. There's no zeal, no heart, no interest, no life. All around me is barrenness. Who can relate to that? God says, Abraham can relate to that. And not just for a short season either. You know, if you, if you care and you counsel for people and you do it regularly, you get a general sense of how the rhythm of sufferings go. And, you know, a big suffering season could be two, three years on average, sometimes longer. A short one might be a few months. 25 years. In fact, God intentionally waited until it seemed like it was too late. Until it was too late, in reality. See, let's think about this for a second. The problem here is not just Sarah's barrenness, but the age of both of them. It wasn't just that there was an absence of life. Part of where this text is going is it's seeking to communicate to us that there was an utter inability to produce life. His body, as good as dead. Her condition, barren. I mean, you know, I want to keep this morning rated G, okay? So suffice it to say that their date nights weren't ending the way their date nights used to end. See, it's, it's all there intentionally. This... This passage starts out, in hope, they believed against hope. In other words, it was pretty hopeless. See, God brought them to a place where it was evident to them and everybody else, hey, this is way beyond man. That if there's any change that's going to take place at all, it has to be some kind of outside supernatural intervention. It has to be something that comes from God and God alone which was the point. Please don't assume that you are exempt from being placed in a, in a situation by a loving God that frustrates the best leadership that you can bring so that the end of the story is not that you are big and you are wise, but that the end of the story is that the glory goes to God and God alone. 
That's what Abraham had to realize. That's why he was able to believe the promise. And he was able to honestly embrace the circumstances. And then lastly, he sustained the trust. Or sustaining the trust. Verse 20 talks a little bit more about how this transformation took place. I alluded to it earlier. Let's read about it again in verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So, Here's what's going on. Abraham believed. Abraham ultimately came to a place where he trusted long before his circumstances changed. In other words, the place where Abraham met God was the place of barrenness, was the place where everything looked dead. Everything seemed dead. And I want you to know, when I read this passage, this is so provoking to me. This is so convicting to me. Because honestly, so often my faith sparks only when I see some hopeful sign. You know what I mean by that? You, you see some hopeful sign in the situation you know, we're struggling with unbelief, but then we see some small change. You know, the, the, the person that we're, that we're looking to reach out to, we hear that they've attended church, or they say they'll come to church with us, and all of a sudden our faith is sailing towards the ceiling. Or our, 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 our prodigal, we have a phone call with them, and there's no drama at all. And we think, oh, God is on the move. God is real. God is amazing. In other words, the trigger for faith is perceived change, not the promise of God. We key off of circumstantial changes and work back from there. Perceived change, not the promise of God. But th this was Abraham's path. His path was through barrenness. And while he was in barrenness, this is what was said about him. He grew strong in his faith. Didn't start strong. He grew strong in his faith. Well, how did he grow strong in his faith? He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Okay, let's just stop for a second. I mean, let's tap the brakes and slow down and consider what's happening. You've got a man facing a situation where everything is dead. The best that he can bring cannot change the situation. The best leadership. Uh, his wife is at a place she can't change the situation. Nothing will change it. So what does he do? He grows strong in his faith as he's giving glory to God. He's in this barren land giving glory to God. He's in unchanging situations giving glory to God. See, his growth is specifically linked to seeing the promises 
and glorifying God for the reality of those promises, even though he hasn't lived into those promises, even though he hasn't yet experienced those promises. His faith was keyed to the promises of God. His faith was not keyed, like mine is sometimes, to the changes in the circumstances. And so the result was, for him, circumstances didn't need to change. His faith changed. His faith revealed a sustained trust. Listen, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that God chooses to fix a pain and a promise in our life at the same time? A pain and a promise. And he allows the pain to play out over a long period of time. Again, we're studying Abraham's life. Remember Abraham. Abraham was Abram. Abram was named, that's his given name at birth. Abram means father of many. So this is a kid who grew up knowing that his name meant father of many. I'm sure that was, you know, a a source of pride for him. I'm sure that was a a sense of anticipation, you know, a proclamation of a prodigious future for him. This is a dude that expected to have tons of kids. I mean, strapping boys, dainty girls, running around the house, a huge family. That's what he anticipated for himself ever since he was a little kid. And so Abram takes a bride, and they start the life together, and the kids don't come. Week after week, month after month, year after year, kids don't come. Facebook profile reads, father of many, still no kids. Kids don't come. There are people in this room that can relate personally, or maybe it's actually your children that are unable to conceive, but you can relate to the pain, to the disappointment. How how do you describe it? The, The monthly demoralizing morass of wanting but not having children. You, un- you understand the experience of going to the family events. Oh, everyone loves you. Everyone wants this for you. Everyone's inquiring, and if not inquiring, you see it in their eyes. Mother's Day, Father's Day, oh, those are hard days. New moms beaming, announcing they're pregnant. You're happy for them but it's a reminder. I mean, think about it for Abram and Sarah. You know, eventually, it would become so hard for them. Eventually, it would become so bad for Sarah. Sarah pushes him into the arms of another woman, perhaps even out of the anxiety of wanting to see who's really at fault. Let's see who lacks life here. Go see Hagar. Sure, there was a promise but it took 25 years 
fact, at the at year 23, 24, all, all he had was Ishmael. In fact, God changed his name from Abram, father of many, to Abraham, father of a multitude. He's being upgraded, and all he had was the son of a slave and a promise. But listen, please don't imagine that this wasn't like a defining experience in their life. Please don't imagine that they weren't the object of, of judgments and that this wasn't a source of shame, and that this didn't assault their identity. And yet ultimately for Abraham, it created a, a confidence that was so deep that he was ultimately willing to sacrifice the child until the angel stayed his hand. Think about where he came from and what he waited for. It makes his faith all the more Remarkable, and I want that kind of faith. So let me ask you, how, how are you doing right now in this season between the promise and the fulfillment? Are, are you patiently waiting? Or have you been out conceiving an Ishmael? You know, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says Ishmael symbolizes a child of the flesh, which is just another way to say Ishmael represents a, a self-sufficient choice that displaces God. It's those times in life where we say, you know what, God, I know you're sovereign, and I, I know you say you're good, but you know what? Your timetable, I don't even get it, and so I'm going to take this into my own hands, and I'm gonna, we're going to get a little activity going here. We're going to get a little progress going here. We're going to get a little efficiency going here, and I'm going to move ahead, and you can come along if you want, but I think I know what's best. Ishmael's are conceived when impatience marries unbelief. Ishmael is the product. So, we can't afford it, we don't really need it, but we want it, and so we slap a credit card down and buy it, and we've been paying for it ever since. It's Ishmael with interest. Or he wasn't a Christian, but he seemed so close. She, no, she wasn't exactly a Christian, but she seemed to make a profession and didn't seem to be that important. So I, I went ahead and I married, and, and we've been living with the implications of that for years. It's Ishmael with irreconcilable differences. Or if, if I just keep ignoring this truth, if I, just, if I just look away from this area, or if I just conduct the home in such a way that I protect, I protect our peace rather than ever speaking truth, then, then the marriage will improve. Then my problem child will, will be more stable. Then they'll finally show me love. Then everything will turn around. But we don't see how it deadens our soul. We don't see how it obscures the promises of God to us. It's Ishmael at any cost. And if we were honest, we would all acknowledge that some of us have Ishmaels that, that stare us in the face each day. A kind of daily reminder of the fruitlessness of our own effort. But, 
if that discourages you, I want you to think about this. Because this is amazing. This is amazing. Abraham is offered in Scripture as the one who got faith right. And Ishmael is embedded in his story. In other words, Abraham was never intended by God for us to be perfect. He was never being offered to us as the perfect example. In fact, he just points forward to the one who would come, who would be perfect. It was because Jesus lived that perfect life. And Jesus died that substitutionary death and rose on the third day, that he now has the authority and the power to redeem us, which means that our fleshly choices, you know, those places where we didn't trust God, those places where we ran ahead, those places where we didn't do it right, our fleshly choices need no longer to define us. It means we don't need to spend years trying to atone for our mistakes, but we can look to the atonement of another. It means that like Abraham, yes, you know, our Ishmaels may live on, but, but they're written into a bigger story that passes through the cross. And and it redeems us despite our past, despite our sins, our, our mistakes, our failures, our, our Ishmaels. And here's the thing. Abraham trusted this. It's how he was able to grow strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. May God help us. May God help us to be more convinced that he is able to do what he has promised. May he help us to give glory to God right here, right now, and as we leave today. Not because our circumstances have changed, but because our faith has. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask for your help. Help our unbelief. Help our sight to see your promises. Give us courage and fortitude to believe. And key our faith off of your word and not our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray.